0: Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas, and I love trees. Today's tree is one bearing themes and symbolism that are, interestingly enough, at odds. Stories of this tree heavily frame it in the context of both beauty and death. It's a tree that has come to be considered invasive outside of its native range, and yet I find myself glad every time I see one. And in a purely physical sense, this tree's leaves are straight up two different colors. Today, I am talking about the white poplar. The white poplar is a cousin to the willow and a close sibling to aspens and cottonwoods. And ultimately, the poplar's opposing identities actually make sense when you view them as two worlds coming together. This tree is wrapped in both love and despair, but on either side of the coin, you'll simply find a different manifestation of passion. Let's learn about how this idea works, how this tree helps structure an entire aspect of Mediterranean mythology, and why many around the world don't want to see this white willowy figure in their own backyard. best get a grasp on the biology of the white poplar by looking at its commonly recognized relatives. Our tree is known scientifically as Populus alba. This more or less directly translates to white poplar, conveniently enough. The genus Populus is a plant group home to poplars as a whole, as well as aspens and cottonwoods. I often see it referred to as the poplar group, because of the Latin translation, but others may instead put aspens or cottonwoods as the title, just based on which tree they like more. But while these three types of trees are closely related, there is enough genetic variability to split the group into a few sections. With this in mind, poplars are more closely grouped with aspens, and cottonwoods are separated out on their own it's actually not uncommon to see poplars and aspens hybridize in the wild because of this close relation, and I've also seen folks just straight up use these two common names interchangeably. In a broader sense, we find this poplar group within the willow family, known scientifically as Salicaceae. Historically, this family was only home to the four tree types I've mentioned so far, willows, poplars, aspens, and cottonwoods, adding up to around 430 species total, 400 of which are just the willows. But with the breakthrough of molecular genetics, scientists have found a whole new way to understand connections between plants through their DNA. Since then, several other plant groups have been lumped in, boosting the total number of species in this family from 430 to over 1,200. I don't really put a whole lot of thought into this family expansion, simply because none of the 800 new plants are as iconic as this family's original members. But that's something to be expected from someone with a forestry background rather than a botany background. All this taxonomic restructuring started back in the early 1990s, and yet I was still learning the older arrangement of plant groups when I was taking forestry classes in the 2010s. So, when I moved beyond forestry to work more specifically in plant ecology, I had to unlearn and relearn so much. But I'll make peace with this discrepancy in plant science education by giving a shout out to one of the newer members of the willow family, a tree native to southern Africa scientifically called Oncoba spinosa, or more commonly the fried egg tree. Its flowers have big white petals, And they've got a big yellow spot in the middle, it looks like a fried egg. Neat. Anyway, as I describe the physical aspects of the white poplar, I'm going to connect its similarities with its traditional relatives. White poplars can grow to heights of around 100 feet or 30 meters, though that's pretty much where they max out, they tend to be quite a bit shorter than that. The trunk of these trees is very white, similar to its sibling the aspen, When the tree is young, its bark will be more greenish-white, turning grayish-white when mature, and ultimately will cover itself in thicker, gray bark when older. White poplars can potentially live to be over 300 years old, but in less-ideal, planted settings may not reach 100 before dying. One more note about its bark, you know how the white bark of the aspen is often broken up by these dark eye shapes? White poplars do something similar, but instead of eyes, the bark fractures form in the shape of diamonds. It's a little less creepy. Although, my sister is a schoolteacher, and she loves to remind me that diamonds aren't in actual shape, so technically the bark fissures in white poplars are rhombus shaped. I'm sure she'll love the fact that it's in this context she gets a mention on my podcast. The leaves of the white poplar are something like a cross between aspens and cottonwoods. Aspens tend to be almost circular, while cottonwoods are fairly triangular. Think of white poplars somewhere in between, like little rounded triangles. They have these bumpy edges, but with how variable leaf shape can get, poplar leaves sometimes form these little lobes that are almost as pronounced as the lobes that stick out on maple leaves. The leaves tend to be the most iconic physical aspect of the white poplar, not because of the shape, but rather because of the color. The tops of poplar leaves are a glossy green, as you would expect from leaves, but the undersides are a downy shade of white with a rough texture. Sometimes that underside scurfiness even appears to be silvery, giving this tree the alternate common name of silver poplar. You might think that white bark is pretty iconic as well, but the aspen is just the same. These bicolored leaves are unique, though. You might also think, why is this leaf hairy? Pubescence on plants, as the phenomenon is known, is an adaptation that helps cool the leaf down for the purpose of reducing water loss that occurs in a process known as transpiration. Basically, the plant version of both an exhale and sweating. As to why this tree is so white... Oh my god, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. There are some legends that try to explain it that we'll look at later on. The flowers of the white poplar form in a structure known as a catkin. Catkins are these cylindrical clusters of tiny flowers that dangle down from the twig and, to me, look like caterpillars. White poplar fruits also form as a cluster in this shape, but they're technically not catkins because that's a flower term specifically. I think i goofed on that explanation the many other times i've talked about catkins on this show the individual fruits themselves are capsules that release cottony seeds that love to float in the breeze and subsequently cover our cars and roads very much like cottonwoods it's very annoying when white poplars do this because they experience very low reproductive success with their seeds all this mess and it's not even their main form of making new trees. Their main method of reproduction actually has to do with their roots. This process is incredibly similar to how aspens form massive clonal colonies like the famous pando in Utah. The roots of the white poplar spread extensively outwards just under the soil, and oftentimes, maybe due to environmental change or damage to the main stem or just because it feels like it, These roots will form suckers. Root suckers are basically entirely new stems growing straight out of this lateral root. So if you see a new white poplar sapling growing out of the ground, look around and see if you can't spot a mature tree. Chances are, this new tree is formed straight out of the root of that older tree. It brings up the age-old tree question of whether or not this clone is itself a new separate tree, or if everything attached to this root system is one big, many-stemmed individual. Hot debate topic in the natural resources community right there. It wouldn't be unusual to find these white poplar clonal colonies growing in parts of North America and Australia, much to the chagrin of North Americans and Australians. It is this clonal growth habit that has caused this species to be labeled as invasive, as its aggressive nature can easily replace native forest species. The fact that these trees aren't from these two continents is the real issue. Aspens do the exact thing in North America and are universally loved and admired for this incredible characteristic. But aspens are from here and white poplars are not, and we want to avoid white poplars replacing the species that are from here. To see these trees in action where they do belong, you'd need to head over to Eurasia and North Africa. White poplars grow native across the Mediterranean region, both in southern Europe and on the other side of the water in northern Africa. They grow as far north as central and eastern Europe and as far east as Turkey in Asia Minor. Like their relatives, the willows, aspens, and cottonwoods, white poplars love growing near water. This means coastal areas, but also along lake edges and stream sides their presence along streamsides is very important, as they form what are called riparian zones that help stabilize the banks of these waterways and control soil erosion that would pollute the waters. Out of all the places they grow naturally, white poplars are most heavily concentrated in central and southern Europe. And it's in these regions where we find the strongest representation in human beliefs, culture, and art. In the legends and myths of ancient Greece, there lived a water nymph by the name of Luca, daughter of the primordial titan Oceanus. Hades, god of the underworld, noticed Luca and fell in love with her, and as Greek gods are wont to do when in love, decided to kidnap her and take her down to his domain. There Luca lived to the end of her days, but not as the wife of Hades. Just about every account describes her more of a consort or paramour and it was in the Underworld that Luca died, as while nymphs can be extremely long-lived, they are not immortal. When Luca died, Hades chose to turn her remains into a white poplar tree. And now it is said that the fields of Elysium are covered in a forest of these trees whose leaves are green on one side and white on the other. I find this story very interesting for a number of reasons. First is my curiosity of Luca's connection to the color white, Luca is, after all, an ancient Greek word meaning white. For example, the subgenus grouping of white oaks is referred to as Luca balanus. Was this water nymph just really pale? The story does not say. Second, the story suggests that Hades turned Luca into a single tree, but now the plains of the underworld are covered in numerous white poplars. I'm curious if this god was at all familiar with the reproductive strategy that is root-suckering and whether or not he was prepared for a clonal colony to take over his home. Finally, those who are familiar with Greek mythology may note a similarity between this story and that of the kidnapping of Persephone. Persephone was the goddess of springtime and daughter of the agricultural goddess Demeter, whom Hades kidnapped, married, and now has seasonal visitation status. From what I've seen, the story of Hades' affair with Luca predates his marriage to Persephone, Perhaps Hades decided that his next love interest would be a goddess so he didn't have to watch her die? Or perhaps the story of Luca evolved in the telling over time into what ultimately became the story of Persephone. Some versions even go so far as to have their stories overlap to where Luca and Persephone lived with Hades in the underworld at the same time. I hope they were friends. Regardless, the story of Luca introduces the connection that the white poplar is said to have with death. And not only do white poplars grow throughout the underworld, but they also grow bountifully along the Greek river Acheron, which, in antiquity, was said to flow directly into the underworld. Which connection came first, I wonder? Was the white poplar already associated with death and its forest growing along the river past the symbolism onto the waterway as well? or was this previously seen as a death river, and so the trees growing along it became death trees? An interesting and potentially unanswerable question, but I am in favor of siding with the trees symbolism first. Yes, I am biased, but I've also read that humans have historically seen the green and white color combo as a representation of where the vibrancy of life meets the colorless peace that death brings, and claim the symbolism comes from this unique biological feature. The white poplar's connection to death is further explored in other Greco-Roman stories, most notably in the Twelve Labors of Hercules, a series of trials Hercules had to face in order to atone for killing his family. Though depending on the version of the story, this connection is either deepened or completely negated. Despite how much fun legends and mythological tales can be, they can also be frustratingly contradictory, but there is one version that very straightforwardly fits with the poplar symbolism. For Hercules' twelfth and final labor, he descends into the underworld and kidnaps the three-headed guard dog Cerberus. Hercules wrestles the beast with his bare hands, and when he returns, he is wearing a woven wreath of white poplar leaves as a crown, symbolizing his act of overcoming the domain of death. But as this story is told more and more, specifically as it transitions from Greek to Roman culture, the tree's connection itself shifts away from death and more towards a symbol of Hercules himself. In other tellings, there is a part of the Tenth Labor that involves Hercules defeating a fire-breathing monster named Cacus. And upon emerging from this battle victorious, Hercules celebrates by sitting in a sunny glade and weaving some poplar leaves into crowns with a couple of his buddies. You know, just dudes being bros. So when Hercules descends into the underworld for the Twelfth Labor to rear naked choke a dog, he is already wearing the white poplar wreath. The story further diverges when Hercules emerges from the underworld victorious. In one telling, the previously white leaves are darkened by the soot of this deadly place, but Hercules' sweat manages to keep one side white. This still maintains some semblance of the underworld having an impact on the nature of this tree. But in another version, the leaves are already just plain green as leaves are, but one side is stained white because of Hercules' sweat. This last version fully removes the previous death symbolism of the white poplar and reassigns it as a representation of Hercules himself. This was likely promoted by a Roman religious sect known as the Cult of Hercules, a group of his most devout worshippers. Because of them and their heavy cultural influence, the white poplar fully transitioned to be a symbol of the heroic Hercules and his victory throughout the age of imperial Rome. But despite seeing this development in the cultural perception of this tree, there is no denying how the white poplar impacted the structure of Greek mythology to its core. For some time, the white poplar didn't just represent death, but also any god that associated with death. These gods are often referred to as chthonic gods, chthonic translating to under the earth, in reference to the concept of the underworld or the lower planes where all souls are fated to rest once our mortal lives end. This is the original Homeric use of the term, and in this context, the white poplar serves as a symbol for each of them due to their association with the underworld. But in later writings, more and more Greek gods are included in the Chthonic sphere. Hermes, for instance, is the messenger god, and therefore has a mandate to travel between the higher planes of Olympus and the lower planes of Hades to deliver messages back and forth, so he is seen as having a heavenly aspect and a Chthonic aspect. This concept starts to really broaden when Demeter, the goddess of agriculture, is included as a Chthonic deity. In her case, this is seen as having to do with plant roots descending beneath the earth. When this is taken into account, the concept of possessing a Chthonic aspect can be expanded to nearly the entire Greek pantheon in any case where a deity is tied to a plant or to some aspect of mortal souls, Or to the underworld, even if not directly. Oftentimes, these chthonic aspects were treated as second versions of the gods themselves with unique rites and rituals practiced to worship these alternate forms. For Hermes and Demeter, as well as any other god roped into this system of classification, the white poplar continuously shows up as the symbol that represents their chthonic underworld aspects. This all comes back. To the poplar's biological features, specifically to its extensive lateral root system. The white poplar doesn't just simply have parts of its structure that extend downward under the earth, these lateral roots that spread out and form new trees elsewhere are like a second structure entirely existing beneath our mortal plane. Such a deep concept to heft upon a tree's boughs, but as history and Europe progressed, This tree continued to carry the complexity of human culture in how it was used for practical purposes. Historically, wood in general has seen its most common employment as lumber for construction or as fuel to be burned for warmth and cooking. Poplar wood, though, is incredibly soft and not very flammable, making it a poor choice for construction and burning, but it managed to maintain high demand in the form of art. Prior to the widespread use of canvas, paintings were made on panels of wood. Evidence suggests that this was done extensively as early as the days of ancient Greece and Rome, but very few of those art pieces have survived the millennia since their creation. We instead see the greatest collection of panel paintings coming from the Renaissance era and the periods preceding it, between the 13th and 16th centuries. And in Southern Europe, the wood for panel painting, was white poplar. So looking at famous Italian paintings like Madonna and Child or the Mona Lisa, their wooden panels are poplar wood. I specify southern Europe for poplar's use because there was a trend for artists to use local wood for the panels on which they would paint. So while southern Europeans made frequent use of poplar, and sometimes willow or linden, northern Europeans more often used oak, chestnut, or walnut because that's what was native. There are even cases of traveling artists like Albrecht Dürer who would use different species of wood for his panels based on where in Europe he was when making the painting. White poplar didn't just see use in the two-dimensional world either, its soft wood was a perfect medium for carving sculptures. The most famous poplar sculpture, as far as I can tell, has to be the Magdalene Penitent by Donatello, sculpted around 1455. This sculpture is especially unique in that Donatello depicted the biblical Mary Magdalene as an old, starving, pitiful woman. For centuries up until then, biblical characters had been depicted in art as young and beautiful and ultimately unrealistic, in the same way that everyone we've seen on TV for decades has been unrealistically skinny and hot. Donatello used the natural medium of the poplar wood to replace fantasy with realism and instead portrayed Mary as an imperfect human being bearing the physical effects of repentance, someone who could be both pitied and related to. The white poplar would eventually leave Europe with its value in trade having to do with the tree itself. This species was first introduced to the United States in 1748 to be planted extensively as an ornamental tree. Which makes a lot of sense, the white bark and strikingly multicolored leaves are incredibly beautiful, and I can't avoid admiring a white poplar every time I see one. But as it turns out, many foresters are regretting these choices of bygone generations because of how aggressively white poplars can spread and take over areas. The white poplar is considered a pioneer species, meaning they readily occupy recently disturbed and opened up areas, and because of their extensive lateral root systems, they can easily prevent native plants from returning to those disturbed sites. This can be beneficial in their native regions though, that extensive root system can help to anchor and stabilize soil to prevent erosion, especially along coastal dunelands since they show tolerance to sand and salt. And their behavior as a pioneer species can help start the process of reforesting sites that have been disturbed due to fire, disease, or human activity. This tree is a curious topic. It's something that can be seen as familiar here in the United States because it is so similar to our native aspen species, yet its origins remain wholly foreign. I'm so intrigued by the white poplar because of its multitudinous dual nature its multicolored leaves, its structure both above and below ground, life and death, fantastical beauty, and ugly reality. This tree, and its soft, shapeable wood, can be anything we need it to be. Be sure to check out my Patreon to help support the show and receive hours of additional content between my full, unedited interviews with John Perlin and Ethan Strange, as well as my video series, Tree Walks with Thomas. I recently took viewers on an exciting stroll through wooded wetlands and pine forests that cover sand dunes on a New England barrier island. Remember that part of every contribution is donated to a sustainable nonprofit organization chosen quarterly by my patrons. All the fun is over at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees, come join my growing army of tree huggers, or start a 7 day free trial to get a taste of the action. And as this summer continues to heat up, I imagine many of us are dreaming of a sandy beach with a cool sea breeze. So in two weeks, we'll be taking a trip to Hawaii just in time to recognize their statehood day by talking about Hawaii's state tree, the Candlenut. On August 8th, I'll explore the history of Hawaii and its controversial statehood, as well as how this state tree makes for a good clock and how it came to be associated with a pigman. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite trees, or on Instagram at podcast. You can support me directly by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees or donate directly to a sustainable organization like the ones found on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.